Good evening, church family. I greet you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining me for this fifth section of a uh, session, rather, in the Epistles of John study. I've got my man Luke with me. He's going to help me out this evening. So we've got our puppets and the Word of God and our sneezes, and we are ready. To go. So let me open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, these epistles of John, Lord, are important. It's the word of God, and that's what makes it important. John speaks about love. He speaks about false prophets. He speaks about the church, oh God. So we just pray your blessing and your anointment, Lord, upon uh, this time, this session, Lord, and upon our church especially. And we ask this in Jesus' holy and blessed name. Amen. So church, what I'd like to do for this session is to read the entire fourth chapter of the first epistle of John. So if you would, I invite you to uh, read along with me in your scripture. It says this, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have in fact, comes from God. There are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know that they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But if we belong to God, those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. This is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Loving one another beginning with verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love ultimately comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending us his one and only Son into the world, so that we may, may have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a fat sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, <clears throat> since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust 
in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be, be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. And if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. And if someone says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Chapter 4 of the first epistle of John. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, uh, church, as uh, Mr. Luke does his thing, I'm just going to uh, offer some uh, notes here from uh, the study. Uh, include some of my own uh, commentary here, and then I wanted to uh, wanted to close with a tidbit from a, uh, a sermon I wanted to con- include here and conclude with. So this chapter is entitled, God is Love. Let, let, let me offer this a moment here from the professor. The problem with false prophets is that you can't tell them apart from the true ones at first sight. They seem devout, they seem reasonable, they claim to have a word from God, so we are Or are we to disagree? But not everyone who claims to be a prophet is a prophet, in fact. You need to listen carefully and sift and weigh through what you hear. Such people are unlikely to come out directly with curses or obviously absurd teaching. But here it is. I started this. Gradually, as you listen, you may discern a fatal flaw. They don't really believe that Jesus is the Messiah who has come in the flesh. Agreeing that that Jesus the Messiah has come in the flesh is the crucial test. It's not an extra bit added onto the Christian message. As John wrote in the Gospel, it is the vital central point. The Word became flesh and lived among us, and that comes from John uh, the, the Gospel of John, the first chapter, verse 14. Take that away, and the true Christian faith crashes to the ground. That's why any spirit that makes someone deny that Jesus has come in the flesh is the spirit of the anti-Messiah. And, and, and he's, so, he's so spot on. There are many false prophets in this world, many anti-Messiahs or, or anti-Christ, someone who denies that Jesus, in fact, is the anointed one, the Messiah. Be listening for that, church. Be listening for that. Uh, for those who are uh, in the pulpit, uh, be listening for that. Uh, certainly from uh, those Bible teachers, that is, that is key. You always want to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and, in fact, profess and proclaim always in your teaching, in your preaching, in your leading, 
that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the, the Anointed One. That, that certainly is uh, the litmus test. Let, let me continue here with another point. It says, the Christian faith grows directly out of and must di- directly express the belief that Jesus is the Messiah. The one true God has revealed himself to be, in fact, love incarnate. Those who hold this faith and embrace it as a means of their own hope and life must themselves reveal the self-same fact before the watching world. Love incarnate must be the badge that the Christian community wears, the sign not only of who they are, but of who their God is as well. So, so you need to, in a sense, be, be expressing that uh, through the Word, through prayer, through worship, uh, and ultimately through uh, your Christian love. Let, let me pick up with uh, points three and four. Our love must come in the flesh, just as God's love did. If you say you love God, but don't love your neighbor, your brother, your sister, a fellow member of the Christian community, you are quite simply, strong language here, telling lies. The same door that opens to let your love to God is the door that opens to let out love to your neighbor. If you're not doing the latter, then you're not doing the former who can live up to this. But in verses 17 and 18 here, John moves into almost a lyrical mode as he talks, not about the fear of being found out, of failing to come up to the mark, but of the boldness and confidence that we shall have on the day of judgment. He does not say that we have this boldness and confidence because we look away from ourselves and simply trust in God's all-powerful, all-conquering love. No. He says that just as He is, so are we within the world. He means that if God revealed Himself in the world by turning His love into flesh and blood... When we do the same, we should realize that we are, in quotes, completing God's love. What operates through us will be the true love of the true God. Love that has made complete in this way leaves no room for fear. Once you learn to give yourself to others as God gave himself to us, there is nothing to be afraid of anymore just a completed circle of love. And, and, and you know, I, I think about this and think about how so often uh, between denominations, right, we, we think, you know, as a denominational body, we have the monopoly on love, what it means, you know, to uh, exhibit God's love, and, and therefore everyone else in, you know, another given church or denomination is somehow... Uh, sub-human, uh, beneath uh, that form of love. So we, we so uh, often in our human nature uh, li- like to have uh, the monopoly of what we think is God's love uh, and, and, and hold on to that uh, tightly, whether it's through our, our, our doctrines of faith. But ultimately, we become more like the Pharisee than we do uh, Jesus. So anytime, anytime we, we try to 
fully define the love of God and how that's expressed. I think in a way we've cheapened it, particularly who gets in and who gets out, who receives God's love and, and who doesn't. So often, often a fatal uh, sinful flaw of the of the nature of of man there. So w- wanted to mention that. Uh, let me uh, let me move to uh, this uh, this last point here, and it's a note on First John four two. It says this as mentioned at the beginning of this guide in getting the most out of the letters of John to say that Jesus had not come in the fe- in the flesh. Uh, looks suspiciously like one branch, at least, of what came to be known as Gnosticism, a kind of religion that specialized in secret knowledge or Gnosis. By gaining this knowledge, it is thought that one might escape entirely from the physical world and enter a realm of pure spirit. For people who embrace this teaching, and it can be made uh, to sound for at least a little while, quite like uh, some bits of genuine Christian message, it was out of the question that Jesus the Messiah should really have come in the flesh. He was surely, they thought, a spiritual being. He couldn't have compromised that spiritual identity by having anything to do with the flesh, the sordid, dirty, physical stuff that needed to eat and drink, to sleep and even horror of all horrors, to die. And so when they talked about Jesus, it wasn't the real Jesus. It was the Gnostic Jesus that they were referring to. It was someone who only seemed to be human like the rest of us. They made up stories about he about how he hadn't really died because he hadn't really been a genuine or fleshly human all alone. Gnosticism Church is alive and well today. This wasn't a movement back then that somehow died and went away. Uh, be, be careful. Be very, very careful and have a discerning spirit, okay, uh, of what is being taught and called uh, the Word of God. Many, many different movements that are corrupt and fallen uh, at their core. Be, be very leery of that. Stay in the Word of God uh, for, for that for that will give us the divine truth. Let, 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 me, let me continue here. The four Gospels, which... Uh, have every historical reason to claim that they go back to Jesus himself, in contrast to uh, the Gnostic documents, are instead about a very Jewish first century movement. The actual Jesus movement was not about God telling us to forget this world and discover your inner reality instead. Rather, God says he is reclaiming this world, that it is a good and wonderful place. And God calls us, as a part of this creation, as people made in his image, to be in fact reborn and to discover redemption. Gnosticism is not about forgiveness or redemption, but about self-discovery. A lot of self-discovery books out there, church that have little, if nothing, to do about the redemption, the reconciliation that Jesus 
went to on the cross to reconcile man and God. So, so be, be, know that, and, and be, be very uh, aware of that. Let, let me, let, let me end with this here. Too many Christians downplay or denigrate the importance of our physical existence and that of God's creation. Heaven is the is the really important place, not this earth. Earth, excuse me. As the old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. So in contrast, Jesus taught the very Jewish idea of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven that God has a love for the creation and that bodily resurrection is real. Loving God matters, but so does loving our physical neighbors. God came in the flesh in Jesus Christ, and we are also to come to our needy, broken world in the flesh as God's redeemed creatures. Church, if that is not being said in our Bible studies from the pulpit and as we are leading one another, it's some New Age movement, some form of Gnosticism, especially if it is not mentioned that Jesus is the Christ, is the Anointed One. So, what I'd like to do is uh, is end uh, here with um, this uh, this sermon that will include. Let, let me let me tell you where uh, it comes from. It comes from a, a pastor and and writer, April Fiat. and it's entitled "It Begins and Ends with Love," and this is from. Uh, the first epistle of John, chapter four, seven through twenty-one. Let, let, let me let me just hit a few highlights here. Um, in this uh, in the conclusion of this sermon that goes along with uh, with the with the study here, God calls us to carry the love of God with us everywhere that we go. Even though we are miserably imperfect at sharing God's love, as people made in God's image, we participate in the love of God by loving others. As it says in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. The love of God is unexpected. It chooses the strange, the outcast, the imperfect, the broken. The love of God is unafraid. We can stand with boldness on the day of judgment because the judge is the one who made the first move to show love to us. The love of God, here it is, wins. The love of God wins. God's love began it all, and God's love will see it through to completion. Today, as we are nourished rather by God's word and the table, we are reminded that this meal where we encounter the Lord has often been called a feast of love. It is here that we can taste and see. It is here that we can bring our hungers and be fed. It is here that we can shake off the name unlovable given to us by the world and claim the name beloved that was given to us by God. As we eat, may we be filled with the love of God so that we may find the courage to go forth into the world with the unexpected, unafraid, and overwhelming love of God. 
Well said, Pastor April. So, church, uh, for the following week, we're going to be moving to session six, Faith Conquers. And let me give you the scripture so you can read it ahead of time. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And that will do it for this week. Luke, you've been <clears throat> a great, very busy company this day. Always good for you to join me. So, church, let me uh, offer a word of prayer for us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. Lord, I'm very thankful for Benton United Methodist Church and for being their pastor. Bless us, Lord, and might we always live, Lord, in the spirit of Jesus Christ, knowing his love and sharing it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take care and God bless you, church. Have a wonderful day and evening.